This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! And welcome to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams here alongside Kindra D. St. Auburn, as always. We'll be joined by a very special guest shortly on the podcast. But first, though, Kindra, it's been a while. How are things? Good. You know what? Uh, just happy to be back at Allianz Field recording another podcast. Happy to be back to get a game going here on Wednesday or on Friday. It is. I don't, I don't know what day it is anymore. But <laughs> on Friday night to actually have the team back here playing. The field looks immaculate. So, um, you know what? All good things to come, I feel. Yeah, we'll talk about the team in depth and that game against Sporting Kansas City a little later on in the podcast. But I think now it's probably about time we welcome in our very special guest. The CEO of Minnesota United, Chris Wright, joins us. Chris, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, Callum. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. We're sitting here in the Allianz Field Broadcasting booth on what is a glorious Tuesday morning. We've just watched a team training session in preparation for the game on Friday here. Before we talk about what is to come on Friday and and the future and Allianz Field and and games here, Chris, let's talk about what was a very successful MLS's back tournament for Minnesota United and your overall views of it. Were you happy with what you saw? Yeah, I think... uh any time that you work your way through um, an incredible situation uh, like the one that we're all working through, um, and you pull off something of that magnitude that includes 26 teams, 1,500 people, uh, you know, staying in two hotels, creating a bubble uh, that in the end, um, I, I would say that without a shadow of a doubt sort of worked. Uh, you know, obviously there were some initial issues with, uh, with Dallas and Nashville, uh, but to be able to organizationally pull something like that off um, was really, truly remarkable. And the, the lack of COVID-19 positive uh, tests that happened after the first uh, maybe four or five days, um, it really was an amazing sort of visionary thing that uh, Don Garber and, and his crew sort of came up with. Uh, and then to really operationally pull it off the way that they did was... Um, you know, a testament to, you know, the incredible thought process planning and then the execution of what was um, a great tournament in the end. Logistically, it was wonderful, but from an entertainment point of view, Kindred D. St. Auburn, it was flawless, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think that we were pleasantly surprised with the level of not just the, the skill and ability, because the guys have been off for so long, but also just the competitive nature of it. Because I think, and Chris, maybe you would agree, when you go into a tournament like this, you're not sure how the players are going to want to deal with it. We knew the group stage games counted towards the regular season, but after that... I wasn't sure how the players, were they just going to want to get home? Were they going to want to win it all the way? You know, I mean, were you pleasantly surprised with that? Yeah, I really was. And if you take a look at the different levels of preparedness of different teams going into the tournament, given state regulations, city regulations from where all of those teams came, some teams wanted to get there early because they didn't have the ability to be able to even train collectively inside of their uh, their, their own markets. Uh, you know, Kansas City came late uh, because they've got a USL team, they've got a very robust academy. They were playing 11 v 11 uh, in their build-up to the tournament. Um, so there were so many different ways that teams had to adjust to begin to prepare for the bubble, for the tournament. And then once it got up and running, after you got through that, maybe that first pool game, 
um, then it began to settle in. And, and I, I thought then the standards started to improve, the competitive nature of the games tactically, coaches beginning to figure out what this pool play was really truly all about. How are we going to get through to the next round? Uh, the different utilization of players, player combinations, et cetera, on, on many, many different teams. Um, I, I, I thought it was um, I thought it was terrific in the end, and I thought the standard of play really by the time you got into the playoffs was very, very high. How much do we commend the coaching staff and the players for performing as admirably as they did in the tournament, Chris? Um, I, I, I think we've got a really unique group here that um, you know Adrian and Mark Watson and and Manny um, have, have been working on over a period of time. Um, uh, I was really excited about sort of our build towards the team that actually opened Allianz Field for us. And I think we all knew and still know today that there is a different iteration of this team, that we, we, do, uh, we do have a ways to go. Uh, and, and obviously we're being very aggressive right now relative to strengthening our squad. Um, but this squad is different. Um, the, the camaraderie, the chemistry, uh, the, the desire to work for each other on this roster and its experienced players and its younger players. And um, Adrian and Mark Watson this year have done an incredible job of taking us to a different level. And hopefully there is another level uh, yet to come with a couple of acquisitions that we're working on, obviously, uh, you know, inside of this window. I was just going to say, I, you know, I, I said several times during the last few months, I don't envy your job and what you've been having to deal with. And you've said several times on our staff Zoom calls that you really don't, you've never faced anything like this in 40-some years of your experience in professional sports. So give us maybe a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of what your experience has been like in a non-team aspect. We're talking about the tournament and, and the team on the field, but from your perspective and running this club, what you've been having to deal with and give our fans kind of a peek inside that. Well, that's a, it's a big question, Kendra. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, but, um, I mean, in the end, uh, we are a business, uh, and therefore you've got to run a business regardless of the circumstances. These are really, really difficult circumstances. And the very, very, it's, it's a different business. The MLS is a different business to maybe every other professional sports league in this country. And in the end, it's a people business. Um, it's, it's about your staff, your 103 business professionals uh, that come to work every single day. And then it's about your fans and your supporters and your partners. And um, it, it's very, very difficult to manage um, a COVID situation whereby your business um, is sort of torn down. And what I mean by that um, is that, um, similar to all of the other professional leagues, we rely totally on local market revenues. And so when you're, um, when you're dealing with COVID-19 and you can't put fans in stands uh, for your games and you've got to work with corporate partners um, to deliver... Um, different elements of a relationship to them that are meaningful given the circumstances and hope that they will maintain their investment with you. Um, and then once you understand all of that, what are the resources then that really truly do you have to be able to run the business on? Um, that's when it gets really, really tricky. And obviously as we as we go to Orlando, this was an incredible showcase for our league. It was absolutely, definitively the right thing to do. Um, our club didn't 
make any money from that tournament, but it was an incredible showcase for the MLS. So um, uh, we needed to be there. We needed to be able to play um, in that tournament and launch our 2020 season after we had to shut it down. But now as we come back to the local market and once again we have to play behind closed doors, uh, the, the business model um, that uh, we're working through is is very, very difficult. Thankfully, we have some incredible staff um, who have hung in there and done a remarkable job during a very difficult time. And we have a remarkable group of owners um, who are all in on this franchise, um, this club, and everything that it means to the market and will mean to the market once we come out of COVID-19. We're still very much in the midst of COVID-19, but there are games here at Allianz Fields, a handful of them. What should fans expect from those couple of games? Well, um, right right now we're unable to put fans, obviously, inside of the stadium. So, um, you know, working with our marketing staff and our broadcast staff, um, you know, what our games are going to be is a made-for-television event. Fortunately, we have two incredibly professional broadcasters who will bring those games to our fans. Um, and uh, we're going to try and make our stadium look um, almost like a stage for our players to go out and walk on. And Kindra's already mentioned the pitch. Uh, the pitch is in incredible shape right now. Um, you know, I've walked across a lot of pitches like you have, Callum, uh, worldwide. Um, and, and honestly, I walked our pitch the other day and... Um, the playing surface is remarkable right now, and it's firm, and it's not cutting up. It's, there's no sort of sodding going on. Um, you know, when, when players go in for a slide tackles, there's a couple this morning in practice, nothing. The surface just held up. Around the stadium, obviously, we're going to try and frame up the pitch. Uh, there will be topping inside of our stadium for about 10 sections um, uh, down the east side of, of our pitch. And then inside of our broadcast, uh, you know, we have one or two unique elements that our broadcast crew are working on uh, to really bring um, what we would like to think is going to be a really high-end broadcast uh, to everybody who is going to care to tune into our games. And, and thankfully, we have a great broadcast partner in Fox Sports North, um, you know, who have been working with us all the way along, um, you know, this journey. Uh, and we'll continue to do so to make sure that our fans get each of these games that we are going to play into their homes. During this time, if you had to maybe peg a message to the fans or say something to the fans, what would your message be as they've kind of, we know how passionate the fans are here and they've endured a lot during this time, especially in Minneapolis with the other social issues going on. What would you say, what would your message be as they've kind of hung in with the team and watched the team from afar? Well, number one, I would say thank you uh, because we've just gone through our renewal of 2020 into 2021. Um, uh, we've renewed our 15,000 season ticket holders at 95.5%. And given COVID and given um, not really knowing when you're going to walk back into the stadium uh, and be that supporter, be that fan of our, our club and see your club play, um, for our fans that are... Uh, that level to say, yeah, I, I just can't wait to be back uh, inside Valleyon's Field and, and savor that experience again, sing Wonderwall again, um, is really, truly remarkable. Um, 
our fans and uh, our supporters have, have been terrific. We've worked with our supporters section and Wonderwall all the way through uh, this, this really difficult situation. We've kept in touch with them. Uh, we've had really good, meaningful conversations with them around a lot of different initiatives and issues uh, that are going on inside of our world today, and we will continue to do that and uh, have a great relationship with them. And then I've got to tell you that our partners, uh, we have 74 corporate partners. Uh, we have not lost one corporate partner uh, through this entire summer period. Um, and you think about what major corporations in this marketplace, what businesses are going through, they're all going through their own version um, of this. For us to be able to sit here today and say the 74 that we have is still with us, they can't wait for us to get back into the stadium, is, is remarkable. Chris, given the way that the season has gone both on and off the field in the year 2020 and what it is, if you could, what does, how, how does one describe a successful season for Minnesota United when we get to whatever the end of the season looks like? No, I, I, th I think the business aside, we, we've got to figure out the business and we're trying to do that on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I, I, I think it's the development of our team. If I had to hang my hat on one thing, it's, it's is our team developing into uh, what we all want it to be. And I, I use the term, um, I want to be a big club um, all the time. I want this club to be a big club. And I think uh, so much of that is dependent on team performance and the impression that we create, um, not only in the United States and inside of the MLS, but worldwide. And as we try to put different relationships together, whether that be in Europe or South America, um, you know, we, we're developing this club into something that I think is very, very special. So I think the fact that we get through to the semifinals of the MLS back is tournament. Um, we're, we're, we're doing pretty well right now in the Western Conference. We have a big game on Friday night against the leaders of the Western Conference. Um, so it's a, it's a top two matchup this, this coming weekend. Um, but um, get once again to the playoffs uh, this year. Um, do well in the playoffs. Maybe try to advance um, um, a little bit deeper than we did last year when we got beaten by the Galaxy. Um, Let's keep evolving. Um, let's keep on this path that in the end allows us to really sort of understand the vision is that in the end we want to be a championship caliber team and club, uh, both on and off the field. Before we let you go, Chris, um, we'd be remiss without asking you. It's not a secret anymore. It's out there. A certain Argentine midfielder has been spoken about and linked with this club heavily. How close are we? Um, we, we're very, very, very close. Uh, this has probably been one of the most difficult negotiations that uh, we have ever been through, and we've all been involved with this one at the very, very highest levels of uh, Boca Juniors. Um, our owners have been involved. I've been involved. Mark Watson, Adrian, obviously, um, and Manny have all been involved in this one to try and get this one over the edge. We... Uh, we think um, we think he's a game changer. Uh, we really do believe that he is a player um, who can propel us to a different level from where we're at today. Um, and so we're we will be very very fortunate to get him. Um, um, I would say that we are incredibly close uh, 
to being able to make the biggest signing that this club has ever made. Let's hope it gets over the line. Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. God, the nerves and the excitement tingling talking about uh, a certain attacking midfielder who would be wonderful for this club. Um, okay, so Kendra, before we uh, move on elsewhere, let's refocus attention, shall we? Let's go back to what was seen as a very successful MLS's back tournament for Minnesota United. What did you take from it from a Minnesota United point of view? Well, I took... I'm not going to lie. When we first saw the Sporting Kansas City game on the first match, you know, I was a little nervous. Um, and I think we we both knew, or at least I I felt like I didn't know what to expect because the team did not play 11 v 11. They hadn't played 90 minutes. You know, you're training in your own market. You're doing individual training, small group, whatever it might be. And so I didn't know what to expect in the Sporting Kansas City game, but I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I was kind of shocked at that first half performance in really the first 60 minutes. But it was exactly like Adrian Heath said it eventually would be. The team grew every game. They got better every game. They got settled into the situation in the bubble. Um, tactically, they got better. Technically, they got better. The team really seemed to gel. I think we knew this was a tight-knit group to begin with, and I honestly felt like the Orlando tournament, MLS is back, maybe made them gel even more and come together as a group. And we said this before, you, it could have gone either way. You could have been at each other's throats by the end of that thing and want nothing to do with certain players, or you've gelled and you've come together during that time. And I think they did just that. And um, so I was pleasantly surprised with Minnesota United's performance. Uh, I think every game, it wasn't the best soccer, the prettiest soccer. I mean, they, they gutted through some things. They grinded it out on occasion. They had some fantastic tactical plans. I think the first plan I really saw come to fruition was the Columbus game. I just thought, you know, that was a team that could have won it all the way they were playing and the way Minnesota United and Adrian Heath and company drew that one up to, to just completely cancel out their attacking pieces in their midfield for Columbus crew was fantastic. And the players executed it to a T and then it just kind of went on from there. Orlando city was not their best game. I thought Orlando city was the better team on the day. Um, I thought that Oscar Pereja had a fantastic plan for their team, but all in all, absolutely a success. The team came together. It was the best of the craziest situation that you could have made it. And um, I think that they should be very happy with their performance and how they came out of it and relatively healthy coming out of the tournament as well. And as we saw in training today, the team looked relatively healthy and that's really probably after that grind, all you can ask. I think the league should be quite pleased with themselves as well for putting on such an event and having the success that they did with it. Um, Portland Timbers, worthy winners in your mind? Well, I think in the end that they, they played the tournament format perfectly. I don't know that Portland is, well, I know that Portland is not the best team at that tournament. Um, roster wise, looking at the team, just in general, but um, Savarese had his team playing the best by the end, by the final, they deserved to win the final. They were the better team that day. And through the group stage, through the knockout rounds, knockout round, especially it's a different animal. It's a different beast. And, and for some reason, um, they, they found a way to get it done. So, yes, I think in the end they were the deserved winners when you get to that final. But do I think they're the best team in the tournament? No. But I, I do think that they deserve to win that match and win that tournament in the end. Uh, just to, going back to what Chris Wright was saying about um, Minnesota United in, in the tournament, do we think a lot of the owners of this club and, and the, the higher-ups and the executives were – Perhaps a bit surprised that Minnesota United did as well as they did because it seemed as though the majority of the country were surprised. Well, 
Gosh, you know what? I don't know because all the owners are here, you know, and they understand what this club is about. They understand what this team looks like. I, it's hard to, sometimes you have to block out the noise of the outside pundits and the outside analysts and, and all of us. I mean, we're just, we have an opinion. We're not, and we say we're, you know, we claim we have an expert on this sport just because we pay attention to it more, but it doesn't mean you're always going to be right. Just means maybe you have the most information at your fingertips, you know, because you've watched a lot of it. You've seen a lot of it. You're on the inside. And so I think that the owners probably weren't ultimately surprised because they've seen this club time and time again, prove people wrong, you know, be the underdog, quote unquote underdog and prove people wrong and come out on top. So I would like to think that the owners weren't surprised because they know the heart and soul of this club. They know the heart and soul of Minnesota United and the soccer history here in the state and the way this roster has been built and progressed year after year after year and the stage it's at now. So I would like to think that the owners were not, but did, did I mind that the club proved some people wrong? Absolutely. I, I loved that. I did not mind that at all because I, I felt like it, they were wronged a little bit when they were written off just because Eichel Parra wasn't making the trip to Orlando City. It was discrediting, I think, the rest of the roster and their ability, not just on the back line, but in general as a club, as a team. And um, so I, I think that it was, it was uh, a good result for Minnesota and a good way, a good strong way to go into it. Hopefully they're still carrying that momentum with them into Friday. Sebastian Blanco of the Portland Timbers was named the MLS's mm. back tournament player of the tournament. What about a Minnesota United player of the tournament? Who caught your eye? Oh, man. Um, you know, I'd probably have to say, I'd probably have to say maybe Jan. Um, I mean, you and I have had conversations before, and I've mentioned it before that sometimes I feel like he takes too many touches, and it's me just nitpicking on him sometimes as a, as a midfielder. But overall, I think that he doesn't get talked about in a positive light enough. His set pieces were fantastic. His corners, yes. his other you know opportunities, is, and for the most part, putting the ball in the right spot. But I don't know that he gets enough credit for his ability on the ball and more so his work defensively. I thought his work rate defensively centrally, whether he was next to Ozzy, whether he was next to Hassani, whatever formation, Jacori, whoever was put in next to him, he was the mainstay always. And his fluidity to play really a six or an eight. I mean, in, in the sense that he reads the game well, if Ozzy gets caught up, he drops back and, you know, he does a good job of covering, but still being an attacking piece. So I would say, I think, um, a lot of people, he may have impressed a lot of people that weren't aware of him nationally that I would maybe say Jan. And then next up would probably be um, Jose Aja. Mm. I thought, I didn't know what to expect. Just the little time he's played, he hadn't played any minutes, you know, um, for us really. And I thought that he stepped in and filled a fantastic void and partnership with Boxy. Looked really good by the end of the tournament. It was really just that first game where you were a little, but everyone was yes. that first match. So I, I would say those would be my two. I was going to say, it, before we head to break here, that the biggest surprise from a Minnesota United point of view, and I think perhaps you've answered the question there by saying Jose Aha. Yeah, it, it absolutely was, because those are massive shoes to fill. That's a lot of pressure. You're filling in for the MLS Defender of the Year, and he slid right in and was... Uh, you know, a real stalwart back there. And I really enjoyed and appreciated the partnership with Boxy. And fortunately, I think Boxy's a pretty easy person to work with just from what we've seen um, as far as communication and whatnot. So I, I would say he was the biggest surprise to me. 
Major credit to the depth of the roster and those that have put it together. Really exciting stuff for Minnesota United in the MLS's back tournaments. But now we move forwards and to what is uh, a rather bizarre, but at least it's happening, MLS season. Stay with us. More coming your way after the break. While team sports may be sidelined right now, team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. Hello there and welcome back to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin. We will talk about Friday evening's game, Minnesota United against Sporting Kansas City, a little later on in the podcast. But first, let's focus our attention elsewhere in Major League Soccer. Kindra, the Major League Soccer transfer window opened on August 12th, and there's been a flurry of activity over the course of the last few days, in particularly the last 48 hours. So let's give some attention to this, shall we? First of all, uh, before we go down the list and have a look at some of the bigger signings, Let's talk about perhaps the biggest of the windows so far. Former Juventus midfielder Blas Matuidi signing for Inter Miami. Yeah, I think, first of all, it's a fantastic addition. I mean, he's 33 years old, but he's got this resume a mile long. And I think that you can never replace experience and that kind of leadership. It was clear, I think, from the MLS's back tournament that Miami still needs some pieces. They need something. They need to find a way to gel. It's still early. They're, you know... We all understand that this is a new, this is the first year for them, so you want patience. But when you have a club that is expected to have these flashy signings and these flashy players and kind of bust into the league, you know, David Beckham and everything else, that there's an expectation that is sort of set. And I think they've fallen flat and fallen short in a lot of those aspects. So I think the addition of Matt Tweedy is going to be can only help them. It can only be good. It can only be a positive. Um, assuming that he comes here and he embraces it. He embraces MLS. He embraces the experience. Yes, he gets to live in Miami, but it's still a different animal. The league, the times we're in with coronavirus and the way teams are traveling and, and just the way things are going to be handled, it's not a normal year. So I think that um, bringing his resume, his experience, his mentality, his just mentality to win, to want to win, once you've tasted that kind of winning, you've had that kind of success, not to mention he's a pretty good player. Mm. You know, what was he, 2015 French Player of the Year or something. So, I mean, the level that he's going to bring and the quality he's going to bring um, can only benefit this team. But I think as we've seen when a lot of big signings have come to this league, you still need the pieces of the puzzle around them. There still needs to be chemistry. There still needs to be sort of a gelling nature and everybody needs to complement each other, which is so important in soccer at any level. You can't just throw the best player out there and assume that that's going to change the whole dynamic. So Miami's got a ways to go, but a really good signing for them, a big name, quality player and with just loads of experience and um, ability. So I think it's a great signing. I think that really splashed the headlines when that happened. This was a weird time, weird transfer window. Everything is kind of strange. We were just talking to Mark Watson about that earlier today. The strange times of the nature of the business and trying to sort these rosters out and, and who's moving where. So good for them. And anything that makes this league better, you get a player like that to come to MLS, that's, that's a plus. That's a positive. So I think it's a good thing. 
and coming in as a TAM player mm -hmm. as well, not a DP. I understand the need for a big DP centre forward. I think that's what Miami are missing, no doubt. But I didn't quite understand people saying that this wasn't what Miami needed. As we've said before, they don't possess the ball well. They're not a counter-attacking team, so they need to possess the ball. I think the spine looks weak. They lack a leader. For me, it's a perfect signing. Well, yeah, and I mean, what, what, what? First of all, what is the big deal about saying this isn't what they need? Yeah, well, this isn't going to change. They still need to add pieces. We know that, but you can only sign. You know, you're signing one guy at a time. You're working on the process here, and a number eight or whatever you want to call him is going to be a very important piece to get the ball to the attacking players. And maybe that's some of what's missing is you have to control the midfield. We've all seen so many times how games can be won and lost in the midfield. Who is going to win the midfield battle? I mean, we talk about that all the time in a pregame show. When we're looking at the lineups saying, wow, what, a, what does the team need to do tonight? How many times does it start with the midfield? Who's going to win the midfield battle? Who's going to keep the ball? Who's going to then connect your back to your front? And he's a player that can do that. So to me, I think that anyone who says this isn't what they need we all understand this isn't the only thing they need but how could you say that's going to be a negative this is going to be a negative and we have no idea what's in the hopper for miami we have no idea what else is going on and what other workings are going on behind the scenes with an attacking player so this surely will make that team better and it will give this team some confidence i think they're lacking a little bit of that right now because they came in with a certain swagger because everyone else put them on a pedestal because it's miami and it's david beckham and then they didn't really follow up their performances didn't back that swagger. This is the type of player that can give them a little confidence, a little credence going in. And this is absolutely a piece that they needed, but it's not the only piece that they need. We can all agree on that. Yes. And this whole DP TAM thing, this is an MLS thing, right? And I think I'm, I'm sort of, I'm starting to struggle more and more with it as the league and the years go on, because a TAM player can oftentimes be more than a DP. Correct. You can spend more than a, but we have elevated the DP status. And even some of the players get hung up on that. I want to be a DP or I am not signing with you. And I think that we need to just sort of get that out of our minds, players, everybody, and say there are other ways to get big money, important players, and play players what they deserve, and they don't just have to have a DP after their name. Well, no DP signing in Major League Soccer um, at the moment during this transfer window. I'm sure that'll change at some stage, but lots of Tam and Gam changing hands over the course of the last 48 hours in particular as well. Uh, Axel Schuberg swapping Columbus Crew for DC United and Emmanuel Boateng went the other way, a part of that deal. The crew also adding Fatai Alashe from their rivals uh, FC Cincinnati. Nashville were busy by signing young goalkeeper Brady Scott from FC Curl in the Bundesliga. They also added Alex Muil from the New York Red Bulls, which I think is a very astute signing. What about this one, though, Kendra? This was um, of interest to, to me, particularly because of, of, of what this team needs. Houston Dynamo signing Wilfred Zahibo from New England Revolution. A part of that deal saw Tommy McNamara go to New England Revolution. But also, what I thought was interesting, the Dynamo made another addition quietly later on in that day. Signing former LA Galaxy forward Ariel Lassiter on loan, from Costa Rican powerhouse Alajuelense. Now, I think this is an intriguing signing because no doubt Manotas and Ramirez need a little more pushing, in my opinion. The question is, is Lassiter that answer? Of course, for those unaware, Lassiter is the son of the original golden boot winner of Major League Soccer. Lassiter was with LA Galaxy for several years before moving on to Alajuelense in Costa Rica. 21 goals for the Costa Rican powerhouse. I think this is a really, really decent signing. I really like it. Um, I think that 
Tab Ramos is still trying to figure out what this Houston Dynamo club is going to look like, and he's still trying to put his stamp on this club, and it's going to take some time. I think um, anybody who thinks that what Oscar Breja has done in Orlando City in the short amount of time, he's but that's that's an anomaly, right? I don't think that can be the expectation for every club going forward, even though Orlando City was a disaster and Oscar Breja has really advanced him in the few months he's had. Tab Ramos is still working through that. I think that this is a sign that he's very familiar with. I think this is a player that he clearly thinks highly of. I think that um, Houston Dynamo, I'm not, I'm definitely not still sure of what they are. There were times where I saw flashes where I was incredibly impressed with them in the MLS's back tournament, including in the opening match against LAFC. I think that was their first match. And I think they ended up drawing 3-3, but they were on the front foot and then LAFC climbed back in. But I, I think that this is a really good signing. If I'm if I'm correct, he's a left-footed player who can play in an attacking piece, so sort of that winger, you know, maybe a, a forward and a 4-3-3 or whatever, however they want to peg it, and he can cut inside. Um, a smart player, just never really found his niche when he was with the LA Galaxy um, and then went and played elsewhere. So I think this is a really good signing. I think it's quality. He must have wanted to kind of come back home and, and be here. And um, I think he'll be a good addition to them, another attacking piece. And we know Albert Elise. We know, as you said, Minotas. I mean, Chris Ramirez, I'm not really sure where he fits into the puzzle right now right. for them because he can't seem to find any minutes. And Darwin Quintero, centrally, they lose McNamara, uh, which actually I thought McNamara, he's kind of weird, you know, in the sense that he sort of just does well when he's on the pitch, but can't ever seem to find a starting role anymore anywhere he goes. So um, I think that this is a good addition to them with Lasseter, and I think that um, he'll be a quality player who can step right in right from the get-go and and make an impact on this Houston Dynamo team that is still trying to find their way and, and find the pieces to the puzzle there as well under Tab. Uh, Kikuta Mane was traded over to New England Revolution from FC Cincinnati. Um a few days ago, FC Dallas acquired uh, a very highly rated Colombian midfielder, Andres Ricarte. Uh, we'll work on that pronunciation at some stage. Um, but also this morning, something that we thought would, would happen at some stage, Kindra, after Jesse Gonzalez, the goalkeeper for Dallas, had his contract mutually terminated, um, there was a need in between the nets. Jimmy Miles is a good goalkeeper, but I'm not convinced he's a number one. They've signed uh, earlier on today uh, Felipe Megliaro uh, on loan from Gremio in Brazil, one of the premier sides in Brazil. It's on loan to the end of the season with an option to buy. Uh, this was simply a need for FC Dallas. It was, and I think that um, they needed some, as you said, Jimmy Mara is not not the starting goalkeeper. We saw the first two games against Nashville last week, and not that we're going to just judge him off of that, but just in general from his career, I think, and his time that he was not going to be it. I think he's a solid number two. We'll see, though. I mean, how does this player come in in the middle of this quote-unquote season that we're having and step in in another country in another league and, um, and fill that void? I mean, clearly they felt like there was um, – there was something there and that they liked what they saw. But I, I think anybody who is coming in during this crazy year and this crazy season from another country, it's going to be a different adjustment than we're even used to seeing, including this goalkeeper. So I think that it's going to take any player maybe a little bit of time to adjust to the league, the circumstances, the situation we're under, playing in these beautiful stadiums like Allianz Field with no fans. They're not going to get quite the same experience anywhere they go right now as if they would for MLS under a regular season. So I hope that they sign him and he stays for 2021 because then he'll get a real taste of 
of what this league is all about, but they definitely filled the need there. And uh, that'll be that the whole Gonzalez thing too. We've never really quite gotten to the bottom of that. We'll have to see what it gets unearthed as time goes on. Mm, be interesting before he was their guy. Yes, for, he I was. Mean, he was their prodigy. Yes, you know? he was. So that, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. We'll see what we can find out there. Um, before we move on to Minnesota United activity, I do have a Western conference question for you, but first the Red Bulls active in this window. They brought in Samuel Tete on loan from RB Salzburg. Uh, in Austria, Jesse Marsh is stomping ground nowadays, of course, uh, a young centre-forward who, who could be um, quite intriguing, I think it's safe to say. The, the one that I'm intrigued with is Drew Yearwood, who's coming as a young DP from Brentford in the English Championship, who, of course, got to the playoff finals this year and fell to Fulham at the final hurdle. Um, really good, deep-lying playmaker, and it fits the identity of the New York Red Bulls at the moment, no doubt about it. Really excited to see him in Major League Soccer. Let me ask you about this, though, Kendra. I found out yesterday... Do you remember a fullback called Brad Smith? Mm-hmm. So Brad Seattle's Smith was Brad with... Smith? The, correct. He was mm-hmm. with Seattle Sounders last year, won MLS Cup, and was arguably one of the best fullbacks in Major League Soccer, the Australian international. He was on loan from Bournemouth, went back to Bournemouth, mm-hmm. couldn't get a game in the Premier League, so went on loan to Cardiff City in the Championship and did very well from everyone I've spoken to back in England about him. He's now a free agent. Mm. Would it surprise you if the Sounders have made, have made that phone call? First of all, let me refresh my memory. Did he choose to leave? Did they not resign him? What? How did he not end up back at Seattle? Do you remember? I don't remember. Because I remember shocked that they wouldn't want him because mm. I thought that he was such a key piece. But I can't remember now if it was the fact that, like, he wanted to leave, if they didn't want to resign him, if how that ended up. But I, I would think that Seattle would absolutely be picking up the phone, depending on the circumstances of when he left. I, th- I think wages might have, might have played a part. But, and also, and, and perhaps they were also... Um, convinced with an insurance policy in Nuhu Tola, who, who, who I think has been slightly suspect at the start of this yeah. season. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, if I was Seattle, assuming they left on good terms and there was nothing crazy going on there, that they would absolutely pick up the phone. He was vital, not just defensively, but more so in the attack. If I remember correctly, that last game at Seattle... I feel like I feel like I remember you saying his name a lot. Yes. Was he in that match? I feel like he maybe sliced us up a little bit. If I'm remembering the game correctly, I don't know which Seattle game it was, but his ability to get forward and get on the attack, serve the ball in, be a threat, force your back line and your midfield to make decisions um, because he was always an extra and added man, you know, in on the attack. I think that if I was Seattle, but if wages were the problem and now he's done really well, does what is his number? How badly does he want to come back? How badly does Seattle want him? But I think that um, that would be a good addition for Schmetzer and the Seattle Sounders. I would I would pick up the phone and make that phone call, and I would be asking uh, Garth Lagerway to make that phone call as well because I, I enjoyed seeing Brad Smith in the league, mm. and I think that um, he makes the league better. He was really good. Okay, let's move on to Minnesota United, shall we? Um, players going out. Noah Billingsley has joined the Las Vegas Lights on a season-long loan. And Brent Coleman has joined El Paso Locomotive uh, in USL on loan for the rest of the season, but can be recalled should Minnesota United find themselves short at some stage. Both without an appearance this season, Kendra, this move for both of them just made complete sense. Well, absolutely. I mean, no one needs to get minutes. The young kids need to play. I mean, that's what Adrian always says. you got to find a way for these guys to play you know similar to Dane St. Clair going on loan 
before the whole pandemic happened and need to get minutes, need to find time. You're not going to get any better sitting on the bench, no matter how much you're training with the first team here. You need game action, game minutes. So great for both of them. Brent Coleman coming back not only from injury, but also suspension. He's been not playing for a long time, just training. So this is good for him as well. Um, but yeah, the ability to be recalled is important because right now, you know, with um, the status of Icopara still up in the air, I think maybe people were initially surprised to see Brent Coleman going on loan. But I think with Debassi, we also know that he has the ability to play center back, left center back we've talked about. And Boxy could always move over when and he gets here. Um, so I think that the ability to be able to recall Brent Coleman is very important. Yeah, Um Simply needed a bit of football, didn't he? Um, in terms of incoming, Dane Sinclair has returned from his loan spell, a very successful short loan spell mm -hmm. at San Antonio because you might have heard by now, Tyler Miller injured out for the rest of the season. Um, no doubt, Kendra, this is a blow for Minnesota United, but some of the younger goalkeepers will surely view this as a huge opportunity. Well, and I think... Um you know, the next man up mentality, which has always been a really key piece of Minnesota United because of sort of the circulation of the roster all the way back to 2017, whether it be with injuries or just, um, you know, trans going from NASL to MLS and the different pieces of the puzzle. I think that this is going to be really important for, you know, um, Greg Ranjit Singh to step up in a timely situation, in an important situation. And we know that he has the ability. He's proven that um, at USL. And I think that we see it at training so i think that the next man up mentality greg emmings is no not greg fred greg saying <laughs> <laughs> fred emmings we see him in training making progress every day dane st Clair was outstanding last year in in training and the and even the how many u.s open cup games or did he play the friendlies, friendlies. last year he played the friendlies i thought he commands his back line he's vocal i think the team really likes him he's got a great personality willing to learn and you've got stewie kerr here that can really foster those relationships and help guide those young goalkeepers and point them in the right direction and make them fantastic for this back line and, and for the club so Huge loss in Tyler Miller, but we got to focus on who's here and who is playing, and I think that they should feel good about who they have. Yeah, before we move on to the actual game here on Friday evening, um, what I mean, we, we're assuming, we're expecting it'll be Gregory Ranjit Singh who will start. Mm -hmm. Comes in with a good resume over the course of the last few years, winning USL Championship twice with Louisville City. He was a backup goalkeeper at Orlando City last year. When the Loons signed him, I remember you and I having a conversation and perhaps identifying him as the best number two in Major League Soccer. So with that in mind, Kendra, what should fans expect from him? Well, I think that because of that experience and that championship experience and those pressure situations and his ability to really kind of, and he's been with the team since the beginning of the season. This isn't a guy we've just had to bring all of a sudden into the fold because of Tyler Miller being out. So I think the camaraderie, the chemistry, the cohesion, the communication, the style, the way you like to play, I think all those things he, he'll be able to slot right in. The only thing I've noticed about Greg, and we've been around him very little because of the situation, is he doesn't maybe seem quite as vocal to me as some other keepers that you know, between Tyler Miller and Vito, where you can verbally hear them from any point on the field at all times. But also that's at training. We've only really seen that. So sometimes you never know in a game situation and not every goalkeeper is yelling and screaming all the time. It's not everybody's style. So I think fans can expect him. And I know you even commented on it today at training, his ability to distribute the ball. So his distribution from the back is going to be very important, especially when you have wing backs um, and outside backs like 
Roman and Chase who like to get forward and you want to keep the ball and you want to attack. He can find Ozzy. He can find the long ball up the field if needed to kind of break the line. So um, I, I don't I don't think the team will miss a beat, but also he hasn't played a game in a long time, so you maybe expect a little bit of rust in the, the early goings. Yeah, and moving on, you mentioned Roman Metinier. Um One would expect him to start. He looked good in training during the week. Um we are unaware of any any issues. Uh, Molino looked fit and able and ready to go. So one would perhaps expect, Kendra, it to be, a goalkeeping aside, to be a fairly normal Minnesota United starting eleven. would we yep, not? I would expect it, and I, and I would expect no different than what we saw at the start of the tournament, um, you know, except the goalkeeper, and then uh, Avi, obviously Ozzy Alonso, he's back in there, he's healthy. I was just trying to think of the very first game of the tournament. The only one missing was Luis and, and Ozzy because of that, because of, you know, injuries or little niggles. And everyone looked great today. I thought everyone looked healthy, um, didn't see any issues out there. So I would expect it to be Adrian Hayes, full-blown, starting 11, everyone fit and healthy, ready to go, back on Allianz Field. Like, if you're not jacked up for that, yes, we know there won't be fans, but if you're not jacked up to be back in your own stadium um, playing in Allianz Field on this pitch and against Sporting Kansas City, which it seems like we've played a thousand times, <laughs> um, you're going to feel good about it. And I would expect Adrian to go with that group. Yeah, before we talk about Sporting Kansas City, how different will this be for the players, bearing in mind there'll be no fans? We, we got a taste of some sort of atmospheric uh, sound being played in the stadium today. We're assuming that'll be the case on match day. Um, this won't be normal, but they've also had the experience of something similar over the course of the last six to eight weeks. Well, and that's kind of how I felt because when they were pumping in some of the noise, you know, as a trial run today at training at Allianz Field, I actually kind of felt like I bet this feels weird to the right. players a little bit because they have been playing in silence now for so long. I mean, think about that. What was it March 7th? was the last game they yes. played with fans. I mean, so I actually think that had they not had Orlando, the first time they went into an MLS stadium and played a game with no fans, it would have really felt strange. But now they've really become accustomed to it. And I think uh, I think that, I, I don't know, I just think this is the new normal and they've completely adjusted to it now. Would they prefer to have, you know, 15, 20,000 people in here screaming? Of course. But I think ultimately... Um, they have adjusted to it. They're happy to just be back in their home field. And the, the added crowd noise will be helpful because before it was just on the broadcast, but not the players couldn't hear it in Orlando. And I think that will help a little bit. But ultimately, you know what? It's just about playing the games, getting the season going again, and you're on your home turf. There's nothing that beats playing in Allianz Field. There really isn't. In even you're going to be minus fans, you can't beat it. So what about the opponent then? We seem to know them very well now. <laughs> We've become accustomed to them. Again, we can't expect much different, really. I mean, from a, a personnel point of view, there are some question marks in terms of injuries. Is it going to be Smith and Punchet uh, at the centre-half positions? You know, we don't know the, the situation with Matt Beasler at the moment. Gadi Kinder didn't play in the last game. Uh, we're assuming he'll be back in and Busio will be on the bench. Um, but apart from that, Kendra, again, it'll be fairly normal and, and what we're used to seeing from Kansas City, won't it? Well, and if I remember correctly, Johnny Russell did not start the match against not us, correct, correct right? Yes. It it was Gerso yes. uh, started, but again, you know, kind of a, a, an embarrassment of riches that you can sort of flip-flop and, and bring Johnny Russell off the bench, assuming he's fit and healthy and ready to go or he can start the match. But I don't know. I mean, as the tournament went on, what did you think of Gotti Kinda and Alan Polito? Because there was so much hype after their first two regular seasons game. Did you, did you, did you think they left as much of an impression on the tournament 
maybe Gotti Kinda is specifically less than Alan Polito, as you were expecting? Well, so for Alan Polito, I thought he, he looked a little bit lost in the sense that he was dropping deep a lot, which mm-hmm. is not like him. He did um, that in the game against Minnesota United. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, I'm not going to say it's not like him because he mm-hmm. has done that before for Chivas mm-hmm. Guadalajara, but um, with the, the way I know Peter Vermees, that is not what he's been asked to do. Mm-hmm. He's been asked to play as high up the field as possible. And so, yes, to, to answer your question, yes, I, I thought he was poor in, in the latter stages of, of the tournament. But I thought Gaudi Kinder um, started well and then seemed to decline as the tournament went on. Um, I don't know why. Maybe there's a little niggle and injury we don't know about because, as I mentioned, he, he didn't start that last game against Philadelphia Union in the MLS's back tournament. So I don't know. Um, I thought it was uninspiring. I thought Kansas City were, were just that, actually, in the last game against Philadelphia Union. I thought like they'd run out of ideas. They didn't mm-hmm. look as though they were... I'm not going to question their motivation, but it didn't seem as though they, they were too interested in being there. And that goes back to the point that you and I made on a previous podcast. I think they got what they wanted. They got mm-hmm. the, the points that they wanted during the group stage. And look, I know Vermees is a winner. He wants to win everything. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if the coaching staff of Kansas City were to say we were okay with what we had. And if we advanced into the tournament, then fine, no problem at all. We were happy with it. We get a bit of money. We get into the Champions League. We've been there before. But I think their sole focus this year, because remember how poor last year was for them, their sole focus on this year, I think, is going to be the regular season and whatever it looks like. So um, I thought they looked a little bit checked out to answer your question. Yeah, and I, I I, was just, you know, and we had that conversation with the assistant coach before the Sporting Kansas City game. And after looking back and rewatching the first two games of the regular season, I was just expecting to be blown away by those two during not just our game, but in, in general during the tournament. And there were certain players that you kind of, you know, have an eye on and you just can't wait to see them perform and, and kind of see what they're going to do and light the world on fire. And I didn't think, I, I thought both of those players all of a sudden felt like they hadn't played at all with Sporting Kansas City. They couldn't figure out how to fit in to the system at times and find their way and, um, you know, ideas going forward. I just, just wasn't what I was expecting. And maybe now, you know, that was, Orlando was a crazy time. Everyone was trying to sort things out. But with this Sporting Kansas City side, I would think that Peter Vermees probably went back to Kansas City. They got back there in a timely fashion since they didn't advance in the tournament and, or go very far and um, got, got, got the team going again, got everything organized. I know exactly what's expected of them, every single position. I just am not going to know. I still don't, just don't know about that back line. You know, I, I think that's still the question mark for them, Punchech, Beasler. I think the fact that Beasler didn't play in a knockout game and maybe he had a little bit of a niggle, but it just surprises me. I feel like they've maybe sort of slightly hinted at trying to move on from him at this point, but they can't really move on from him because he's a Kansas City boy. Hmm. So um, I expect nothing different. I would expect the same starting lineup. I would expect actually Johnny Russell in um, would be my thought. Um, I expect Gotti Kinda to be back in there. I would think Polito is going to stay higher. He's going to like draw a little circle on the field and say, don't come out of it. I don't want you dropping back. We need to find you. That's our job. And, um, you know, a sporting Kansas city side, that's going to be itching to get back at Minnesota United because they're not going to appreciate the way that that first match went in Orlando. I'm sure they've remembered it. 
Yes, yes, just to add to the nicest rivalry in sports for sure. <laughs> uh, as always, thank you very much to Kindred East St. Auburn, our producer Morgan Lubin, and to you for listening at home as well. It's Minnesota United against Sporting Kansas City on Friday evening. Join us on Fox Sports North Plus, 6 p.m. for the pregame show. You can also listen on our radio partner, Score North, and across the U.S. on Sirius XM as well. Minnesota United returning to Allianz Field, and we simply cannot wait.